welcome to Romance Isn't Dead, episode 27, The Unwanted Bride, part D. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. I am cold. You're cold. Well, I was being serious for our listeners. This is absolutely take two. Um, We recorded an entire podcast about this, but... Technology, yeah, technology was not our friend. Technology was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so here we are, and and then we were gonna we we had planned to re-record earlier this week, and that didn't work out because Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, Halloween, and so here we are, here we are, recording about the Sherbrooke Bride this week, which is from Catherine Coulter, nineteen ninety two, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe so, yeah. Hang on. Okay. I will tell you, my, my copy smells amazing. Yeah, in 1992. Okay. My, well, my copy is from 94. Oh, okay. It's beautiful, and the main reason I picked it up off the bookshelf when I actually bought it. <laughs> does it have the Does it have the bodice ripper on the interior cover? The interior it does indeed. It does indeed have the bodice ripper. Okay. But the bodice ripper isn't really... A traditional bodice ripper, and I have to say that whoa, Douglas Sherbrooke is hot. Um, but Alexandra looks a, uh, she's supposed to be a a night an eighteen year old girl. Mm-hmm. She looks thirty. Uh, yeah, at least I'd say thirty five, and that's being generous. <laughs> she looks a lot older. So if anybody has seen this book cover, they'll know exactly what I mean. The exterior of my cover, and I'm not sure if it's the English version or, in fact, it is the English version, is in Duochrome. Okay. In fact, the entire th- first three books are in a beautiful sort of rainbow shade of Duochrome covers. I love them. And they look really nice on my bookcase, too. <laughs> Aesthetics, man. Aesthetics. And they count Aces. For something. They do count for something. I mean, when you look at most of my shelf is full of chiclet and they're all pinks. They're all pastel shades. Right. That makes they sense. really are pastel shades. And then you go through a bookshelf and you see something that is no telling a lie. This gorgeous teal duochrome with a pinkish hue to it. And it's like, oh, that stands out. What's mm. that about? So, well, yeah, anyway. you don't judge the book by its cover, but the cover does help you pick up the book, right? It so, really does. So there's that. And we could probably do an entire episode about the change in covers on romance novels because they have shifted over the years. They're but, very female-focused now, I've noticed. I know very what? Side. They're very female-focused. If you look at... Yeah, they're from um, Gazy, Absolutely. Well, no, then that's the thing. I mean, they're more, if you look at the old style book covers, so Joanna Lindsay is probably one of the most famous book covers because she had Fabio on all of her book covers back in the 80s. All the Mallory, or is it Mallory or Malloy? All of them look exactly the same. Yeah, because they were all Fabio. Exactly. Um, But they were all Fabio with a ripped shirt standing up and the woman at his feet and now they're all a woman gazing out at something. So they're totally different covers now. I've Even not noticed that. Covers. See, on Amazon, I see a lot of covers of bare male chests. But yeah, no. but you're looking at the supernatural side of things. 
if you look at the historical so look at Ajana Lindsay now for example mm. they are they really are very very female focused rather than for the female gaze mm. they are women wearing elegant gowns staring out into the distance a la um, French lieutenant's woman rather than a man very very burly with massive muscles in a rich shirt which is a really interesting sort of change i think it is interesting well that having been said let's talk We're about the sherbet bride yeah um it I, was your pick yes it was my pick indeed um all those weeks ago back in september Good grief. i think yeah i know right. we do apologize it has been a very long time there's been a lot going on in both our lives and I've just stupidly started Nano, but we won't go there. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's stupid, but... I'm sort of on track. Mostly hand but I am sort of on track, which is Yay. something. That's but huge. we are only on day three. Um, well, you know what, if you start off on track, you're better than if you, you know, don't start off on track. Yeah, it's really nice when it starts on a weekend, to be fair. Mm. But we've both had really busy schedules, um, obviously Halloween and over in... October is a busy month for my family. We just have a lot going on every October. Yeah, I, same I here. I explain it. So... Yeah, the yeah. first part of October for me is a lot of family birthdays and things. And for Sally, it's a lot of events. So it kind of... Time escaped from us somewhere. Yeah. But we are, we haven't forgotten all about the Sherbrooke Bride no. at all. We have both read it. Yes. Right? Yes. I, I, know, I, I know I've read it about, I don't know, my copy is very, very worn. Um, but let's start at the beginning and tell you all about the Sherbrooke Bride by reading the back of the book, which is an essay in itself. Douglas Sherbrooke, the Earl of Northcliffe, is a man besieged. He must have an heir, thus he must first provide himself with the requisite bride. Alexandra Chambers, youngest daughter of the Duke of Beresford, has loved Douglas Sherbrooke since she was 15. Unfortunately, it is her sister, the incomparable Melisande, he wants to marry. But life ne never ladles out what one expects, and Douglas finds himself married to the wrong sister. If having an unwanted wife isn't enough, he is also plagued by the Virgin Bride, a ghost that is repeatedly, no, reputedly seen in the Countess's bedchamber. Does the willowy phantom really appear to Douglas, and does it speak to him? Okay, so thoughts. Mine? Yep. I think that... I wish that the the back blurb had been a little less about the Virgin Bride, who plays a role, but she's really not, in the final analysis, that big of a deal. Yep. Uh, she's very... She, she's relegated to uh, barely supporting care Like... I don't even understand necessarily why why Coulter threw that plot device in there. Except at that very like supposedly the bride helps him. There is it that there is that that's literally it. Like he could he could have like just woken up assured in this knowledge that he had you know what I mean she didn't have to have that plot device in there so it's kind of like do you have this plot device in here for a specific purpose 
or were you going to go somewhere with this and then you didn't or, or what? I, I don't know, but I, I love me some supernatural. I have a problem with ghosts, but at the same time, if you're going to have the ghost, have the ghost. Otherwise, you know, kind of what's the, yeah. why, why have we devoted probably 10 pages in total of this book to this ghost? You could probably cut that ghost out. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I think that one of the things with this book that we haven't mentioned is that it is the first in what was originally a trilogy. It's now way more than that. However, it was originally a trilogy with three books about, about the Sherbrooke siblings, and there are three of them. There is Douglas, the oldest brother, who is in The Sherbrooke Bride. Then you've got Ryder, the playboy brother, who's the middle child, who appears in the second book, The Hellion Bride. And then you've got the rather tomboyish and rebellious daughter, Joan, who's mm -hmm. everyone calls Sinjin, who appears in the third book, The Heiress Bride. Mm -hmm. And the go though the ghost doesn't really play much of a part in the second book because that's based on an island in the West Indies, she does play a role in the third book the heiress bride okay i think she has more she's she is definitely a i in fact that's i mean that was one of my initial thoughts was the virgin bride is a bit of a a useless plot device in the first book mm -hmm. but it's almost like a lot of the first book though it is a story in itself and i think it's for me it's one of my favorites by coulter it is setting the scene for things that happen later on okay Almost like they were written at a similar time. They may well, they may well have been, right? They may well have yeah. been. So knowing that, it's helpful, right? But I have yeah. not read the remainder of the Sherbrooke family series. So this is me from a, a crip perspective, having yeah. read only one book and kind of going, why is that in there? but it's fine it's totally fine it's not like it took me out of the book it's not like I read it and I was like oh, this is the stupidest plot device ever no none of that I just in retrospect looking at it it's like why and why is the why is the ghost mentioned on the back cover you know it's just not that important of a device in my world for it to be mentioned on the back cover does that make yeah. sense okay. well, totally makes sense I think so. that sometimes Coulter I mean if you look at the way that Coulter's writing has evolved. Mm -hmm. She does focus a lot more on the thriller, the supernatural yes. now than she did at the beginning. And it's almost like this was an experiment. Perhaps. I mean, Douglas himself is the, the entire, the pre, not the premise of the book, but the entire backstory of the book is he is on a, he's a spy. And he's on a mission in France during the, this is based during the, Napoleon, the Napoleonic Wars. He is on a mission in France. So he sends his cousin to marry Melisande by proxy. And instead he marries Melisande and then marries. The Douglas cousin marries Melisande and marries. Alexandra by proxy yeah. to Douglas. Okay. And that's the entire premise of the book really. Okay, so with that being said, I don't understand this whole by proxy thing. I mean, I, I intellectually understand it, but as a woman, I'd be a little irate 
Yeah, but then these were people that married. They didn't marry for anything other than status. And sure. they were marrying for money because though the Duke of Beresford had the titles and the status, he had no money. So right. he was essentially selling his daughters. That's correct. It was almost like an auction. It was indeed. <laughs> so sad. Oh, I'm going to auction my daughters off to the highest bidder. Yep. And save the family estates. Exactly. Which is what he did. Really. Yes. Which reminds me in many ways of Whitney and her father in Whitney, my love. It's the trope, right? It's a trope. Yeah. There Saving was only the one bed. It's the same kind of trope. Exactly. It really is. It's one of those, it's quite a popular trope in Regency, yeah. yeah. In Regency more than anything. True. The, there was only one bed. I was kidnapped and I was stuck on a pirate ship. We were I think stuck in the it. rain. Yeah. There was only one room to go into. Yeah, we've the read barn. one of those, haven't we? Mm. And we've read one of those. And we've read mm. we've read a pirate kidnapping one. Mm -hmm. um, there is the trapped in the rain and witnessed a murder one. There are so many that fit those tropes. And this is another. Okay, I, I'm going to ask maybe if I can re recall this question. I don't know. It's gone. How does a podcaster lose their train of thought like that? I just lost my train of thought completely. I should have written it down. Yeah. It's gone. Never mind. Okay, you were saying? I forgot Kathleen Turner's name earlier this morning, and I can't even remember why I wanted to remember it in the first place. <laughs> I'm having trouble with that right now, too. I'm like, why do you care? Well, okay, so one thing about this book, reviewers online deeply oh, yeah. critical of this book in terms of saying that he forced her and uh, especially the first time that they were intimate and I didn't read it that way I don't know if I was I reading a different book is it because of the is it because of my gen x filter I'm not sure I didn't read it that way Ray where are you on that I, I definitely didn't read it that way. Um, I do sometimes wonder if we're not becoming... So, we were, we've talked about this outside of the pod quite often. That whole... The way that people now pull apart books that were written prior to the sensitivity generation. That whole, we've got to be sensitive to this, that and the other. I think we were having a discussion with someone... In fact, I had a conversation with somebody previously about how, oh, well, they weren't very um, kind to homosexuals, this, that, and the other in historical novels. And it's like, I know that you don't have to be 100% completely historically accurate, but you have to take into account that even if it wasn't written during that time, as obviously Pride and Prejudice was or Jane Eyre, you mm. still got to keep in mind that the mindset of the characters would be different. Mm -hmm. True. And she married him. In essence, as awful as it is, she was his belonging. But at the same time, she initiates their initial sexual encounter. Yeah. I, but he I, loses control because he is it's one of the things that you notice about Douglas right off. He is a control freak. Mm, he is. 
a massive control freak mm. and when he's with her he loses all semblance of control right and that's the only thing that maybe i can see that other people may read as non-consensual or dubiously consensual but at the same time she was in she was all in for that yeah i don't i don't know i'm not saying that they're wrong i'm just saying that in my to my mind i don't that's read it. it that same way so i guess for our listeners if you are going to go pick up this book then then sort of be aware of that that some people really feel like there's a non-con element here that i just don't particularly see from my perspective and um, it's certainly not like the scene in whitney my love with clayton no, and with no by not. any stretch of the imagination yeah, and it's not like a lot of these other other bodice rippers from slightly earlier, like, uh, is it Sweet Savage Love? Did you read that book? It was, Sweet uh, Savage Love, isn't that? That's another Joanna Lindsay, isn't it? That is might it? be, that might well be, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. But it okay, I love Kathleen Woody Wisp. Kathleen E. Woody Wisp was very, very um, keen on the forceful man as a lead not her this one oh my gosh not rosemary rosemary rogers oh yeah rosemary yeah. rogers she's she's wanting i think that her and kathleen e woody Wiss are from very very similar they are but woody Wiss is not as far along that spectrum as rosemary rogers no she glamorizes it almost Mm-hmm. yeah so that's a different that's a horse of a different color, I think. And it's yeah. a discussion we could have. For an it, eternity. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't think a lot of Rosemary Rogers books are readily available anymore, honestly. Um, I honestly don't know. I haven't read one for years. But back either. to Bride, we were talking. we were talking about the consent thing. There is no blatant asking for permission. True. If that's what they're talking about. But then if you read... The majority of, actually, if you read the majority of my historical romance shelf, books written in the 80s and 90s didn't have that. It wasn't something that people were almost demanding. I do sometimes think that we're going to end up with an entire 30-page preface containing warnings in the future. And that, that actually upsets me. Well, I understand where you're coming from. I do. But I also get, I know that if I'm reading fan fiction, I do appreciate, I, I mind the tags if I'm reading fanfic, right? I, I mind the tags. If someone is telling me, by the way, something's going to come up. And I learned that sort of the hard way, I think, because fanfic doesn't have the same kind of quote-unquote rules that, that published we're traditionally published traditionally published books do right so if something is coming out from random house or penguin publishing or something like that i know that there's a certain like i have a feeling that i've got a certain i can rely on a certain something it's going to be edited right and if it's a fanfic or a self-published book i don't have those same assurances so i do if i'm reading on ao3 an archive of our own Mm -hmm. I will mind the tags if someone says that something might be coming up that might, I don't think I get 
triggered per se, but um, if something might be coming up that I won't like or don't want, because I have made the mistake of not minding the tags and spending time in, in, in a work that I really wish I hadn't. Yeah, so, I, wish that they, I wish that they'd have a tag that was badly written, poor grammar, doesn't use spell check, but that's me. <laughs> be nice. Don't I'm be... Trying- don't be ugly. Come on now. <laughs> I, I think my problem is more because I come from that literature background. I'm a writer by trade. I am a content writer for a living. And I worked as an editor in a publishing house. So having that whole background does make me, that is my trigger. Okay. If I read something and all of a sudden you find entire sentences that are Clearly, either they haven't been beated or it's been rushed. Mm -hmm. And all you find is just spelling error upon spelling error or really poor grammar. I'm not a fan myself of those. It pulls me me out of the story. Right. Oh, same. And I will hit a back button. Yeah, it's like when you read an e-book and they haven't been edited properly. Right. But it's almost they've been done quickly. Right. That's my trigger. So I I understand where you're coming from, like... But I think that with a traditionally published book, I feel like I can be assured that I'm not going to be like the descriptions are not going to be enough that are going to like send me over the edge or anything like that. And I can always read reviews if I need to. So I don't worry as much about that, but I do see where you're coming from. And in fanfic, I will say that I appreciate the text because I feel like. I'm going to need a heads up if you're going to be throwing some really nasty stuff my way because I can, I'll back out. I think there's also that element of the fact that you are possibly, in in most cases when it comes to a published novel, you're picking up one by an author you're already familiar with. Right, or who's been recommended to me. Yeah, and I don't, I am, I think one of the issues with reviews these days, especially of older books, is they're looking at them through today's society's eyes. And it it makes it very, very difficult for an author. I mean, we've just talked about how it's got to be nice because I find that grammar is my biggest trigger. And you do have to be nice. And the thing is, with a published book, when you read a review on somewhere like Goodreads or um, there's another um, fantastic fiction or on Amazon, people can be as harsh as they like and use these words like, oh, there should have been a warning, non-consensual, this was rape, this, that, and the other. And there's no comeback from the author because it's such a big forum and an author will already be working on their next novel because it's their livelihood. Mm -hmm. Right. Or in cases, they're dead. Yeah, yeah, Kathleen, is it Kathleen Woody was that passed away? Yeah, she can't defend herself. Yeah. No, I know, I know. Well, in the end, what do you think of The Sherbert Bride? I mean, obviously you picked I it. Like it's it. one of the ones that you've kept. You didn't yeah. even call. I did not cull it, no. Um, I kept it. I kept the sequels. And I kept novels that I didn't even realize I'd kept from the same series. Because the books go further than The Heiress Bride. There is. The Scottish Bride, I think. There is, um, oh, I'm trying to look. There's the Sherbrooke Twins. I think even Pendragon is 
part of the same series in some strange way so she's continued writing them mm-hmm. so it, i think it's it's kind of like they're her mallories yes absolutely absolutely I think, Mallory, I think the mallories personally have now gone too far because mm-hmm. now they're they're sweeping out too far i think they're looking at extreme minor links to them but i think that the the um sherbrooks were or maybe are Coulter's Mallory family and I liked Douglas mm-hmm. I liked Alexandra I liked actually I think there weren't any characters in this that I didn't like but I loved Tony and Melisande the way that he slow he was he it was almost like he'd done Douglas a massive favor in marrying her yeah see I don't like Melisande but yeah, but I think that she's she grows on you a bit by the end because she becomes a little bit a little bit less self absorbed and human. Yeah, and vapid. <laughs> it's probably a fair approximation. She becomes a little bit less so with every single compliment he pays her that's not about how she looks. Mm-hmm. She becomes more of a human. I think. Yeah. And I they have a good chemistry together. Mm-hmm. And of course, you've got Ryder. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ryder. All right. You know what? My my. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> I started reading this book, and I put it down. And, but I knew I had to finish it. But I started reading this book, and I put it down, because the opening scene was such a turnoff to me, where Douglas is in. A meeting with his younger brother Ryder and they're discussing the number of by blows they have and Ryder has what appears to be an inordinate amount of by blows and and by by blows I mean illegitimate children and so I just I'm looking I'm like I don't like these people <laughs> and and so I actually had to put the book down then come back to it and and Ray has has assured me that that Ryder is not all he appears that there's there's things I don't know and I can accept that but just from that I was like oh my gosh Ray, we forgot we forgot Sherbrooke who Tyson the pious one who may as well be a priest uh, he, he's think. ultimately so forgettable yeah so and forgettable his, and his annoying Scottish bride is the Scottish his, bride he marries, you know, he's talking about Melinda or whatever her name is. Yeah, something unforgettable. He is so, he is such a forgettable character, which is quite sad, really, um, because his brother, his brother's older brothers and sister are so memorable. But he marries um, a decidedly forgettable three named girl. There's nothing wrong with multiple names. No, but I said decidedly forgettable three-named girl because that's how that's how I remember. <laughs> My sister's kids have got four names, so come on. Um, and I think she dies. Oh, how sad for him. And that's what the Scottish Bride is about. He goes, because he becomes a curate or something. Mm-hmm. A and he goes to Scotland and he meets his match, who is very, very different from his first wife his first wife but he is ultimately 
see, I said, oh, I love all the characters in this, and I'd forgotten one completely existed. <laughs> I'd forgotten there were four Sherbrooke's because the three that really stand out are the ones that make the core of the series. Well, and Tyson, to be fair, comes across as really super judgy and annoying. Which is why he goes into the church. And... No offense. You're being ugly again, right? I said, I said no offense. <sighs> Come on now. now. The way you say that is, that's why My I goes into the church, bless his heart. That's how you say it. No offense. <sighs> I'm English. Give me a break. <laughs> then you could say bless his cotton socks, but you, you, can't, you can't just... My meds have started to work again. That's why I'm being a bit more snarky. I've got more energy. And, I have, my, and I have my vitamin B jab, which is maybe a little bit more energetic. But you, but you, can't, my... you can't be like... You can't do that. So you need to bless his heart. That's what you need to do. Have I taught you nothing? <laughs> I've taught you nothing. Sound, I failed. It, it doesn't sound the same when it comes from an English accent. It doesn't? Try no, it. bless his heart. Oh, it sounds perfect. I love it. It doesn't sound at all sincere. <laughs> Does it sound sincere when I say it? I don't think it sounds sincere when no. I say it. <laughs> it doesn't sound. It doesn't sound even as though it's meant to sound sincere. If that makes sense. Mine or yours? Mine. Oh. Mine sounds more sarcastic, but then that's the British tone of voice all over. Yeah. Well, everything you say sounds sarcastic. <laughs> See, see, that's, that's the whole problem with an English accent, especially a southern English accent. We sat, we all sound as though we're speaking through our noses and very, very judgmental and incredibly sarcastic. See, even that, which was completely sincere, sounded sarcastic. Well, I don't even want to know what I sound like to people. I, I'm sure they go out and think I sound like a country bumpkin, but that's okay. It's, it's just the way I talk. <laughs> but that having been said, Tyson does come across as rather judgmental and naive, really. Like, naive in his judgmentalness. Like, because he's so young. Like, he's about 18 in this book. And he's going off to school. And so, I think for me, who I teach that age group, I get it, man. They're just annoying. <laughs> because they're so full of themselves and they think they know everything and they don't but it's also the fact that he is very pious mm -hmm. which oh i which really is and so that comes across, but her voice the voice that she gets across with all her characters mm -hmm. she really does give them very individual tone you know who she's writing about when absolutely you read she is so good at that yeah even if even if even if the Sherbert Bride is not your jam, like not up your alley, I would encourage you to read at least a book or two by Catherine Coulter because this woman can write. Like, yeah, legitimately, she, she is she is an author. And you know, if you'd rather read, I'm not sure why you're listening to Romance Isn't Dead. If you actually are into, don't want to read romance, don't want to read romance. But I would tell you to to give a book of hers a shot because it really is worth worth it. Yeah. Her tone of voice is so good. Mm -hmm. Every single character that she has created in this, apart from Tyson, who we've completely forgotten about, but now, but we do remember a certain elements of him that you never forget. But you know what? Every single character has individuality. Do you think that? Do you think that that's on purpose? 
what the weird that Tyson is so forgettable. Yeah. I do wonder because she's created so I mean, you look at Ryder, you look at Douglas, you look at Alexandra, Tony, Melisande, they are such overwhelmingly strong characters mm -hmm. in themselves. Every mm -hmm. single thing about them is different. They are they don't blend into the background. And then you've got Tyson who is different to the rest of his family. Mm -hmm. He toes the family line. He doesn't step a foot wrong. He is very, as you said, he's very judgmental, which is difficult in a family with someone like Ryder in it, to be fair. Mm -hmm. And he, he judges the heck out of Ryder. Oh, yeah, he does. But he blends into the background. Mm -hmm. As does Terrible Mom, which I feel like is a trope in Regency as well. What, the Dowager? Yes. That's not how I pronounce yeah. that. Go figure. But how do you pronounce it? I've always said Dowager. Okay. I'm sure Dowager is correct, but you can't mock me because I learned to say the word from reading it, right? Yep, exactly. So, um, well, heat rating, our chili pepper rating on this book. I'd say seven to eight. Y'all didn't There's see that coming, did you? Y'all didn't, didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> there is a lot of sex in this book, and it's mm -hmm. well it's, written. It's well, it's not, yeah. it's not unnecessary. Mm -mm. No, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 high up on the heat scale. I was I was giving it a seven, so and my heat scale is a little different than Ray's, but yeah, I was I was like over five, I think over six. Let's go with seven. So yeah, it's hot. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Is there anything else we need to say about The Sherbert Bride? Um, if you get a chance, read it. If you get a chance, read the sequels. Because you do get to know the characters in the sequels in the first book. And it is almost, though you have an ending, it's, almost a, it's also a continuation. Because at the end of this book, Douglas sends Ryder off to the, middle, to the West Indies. Mm -hmm. And the second book picks up where that sort of drops off. So... Mm -hmm. It, I have to say, I like them. They are my favorite Coulter books, and I've read quite a few of them. Mm -hmm. I well, think they're her strongest. Interesting. Well, it's my turn to pick a book, isn't it? It is indeed. Brace yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. We're going with Catherine Coulter again, and we're going with another Regency, but we're not going with Sherbert Bride. We're going with um, the first book of the Night Trilogy called Night Fire, and it was released in 2009. So I am interested to see, and I picked this book because I wanted to see how her writing style has changed potentially over the 20 plus year time, 20 year time period. Right. It's more than that, isn't it? It's 2009, 19, 19, 1992. It's what, 20? No. It's oh, no. 20, 20 years would be. No, yeah. so 17 years? Yeah, so not quite 20 years. So I'm interested to see if she changed her writing style at all with regards to Regency England and all that stuff. So it seemed to be a good fit for this. Now, I'm not sure when we're planning on doing the recording for that, that specific podcast, because we are thinking about doing a podcast on writing because <laughs> it is NaNoWriMo. So, yeah. And Be I'm on the lookout for that. <laughs> Be on the lookout for that. And uh, is there anything else we need to say? Um, 
just keep on searching. If you happily ever, what? Where can people find us? Oh yeah, people can find us. You can find us on Twitter at ISN Romance. Uh, you can find us on WordPress at romancenotdead.wordpress.com. And if you search for Romance Isn't Dead on Facebook, we have a page there where we post all our videos. Obviously, we're also on YouTube at Romance Not Deceased. If you search for Romance Not Deceased, because Romance Not Dead was already gone for some reason. Um, <laughs> I have no that? idea. I, I don't know. Um, How do they? My, my name's also gone on YouTube, so <laughs> it was great finding that one out. Um, and... If you basically, if you search for romance isn't dead, you will find us pretty much anywhere. We're, we are pretty much everywhere, to be fair. Okay, cool. I am, Palma- I am Palmetta Blue on Twitter and on Instagram. So if you have any interest in seeing the things that I make, maybe look at Instagram. <laughs> or, you know, random annoying shots of me with my kids at, you know, well, I'm going to put up one of a football game today, but, um, yeah, Twitter, I tweet mostly about Star Wars and romance because there's romance in Star Wars, but that's this topic for another podcast. (laughs) And, um, we've already done one about Star Wars and romance. Yeah. But the greatest romance in Star Wars is happening. Anyway, sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Um, I'm having heart palpitations. Someone call the ambulance. <laughs> Whew. I can't even. You're missing out on like Darth Darcy, man. This He's Darth Darcy coming out of the Ray. Ray. Okay, y'all, I got to deal with this. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Palmetto Blue. I'm going to have to deal with my podcast partner because she's not understanding the importance of romance in Star Wars. Ray, how do you want to sign out? I'd like to sign out. I already started and now I will finish. <laughs> Keep on searching for your happily ever after. And, you... and I would remind you that romance isn't dead. It's alive and well on your bookshelf. Bye. Bye. <laughs>